Chapter Six of Captain Ted by Mary T. Wagaman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Six, Kilkenigan's Broth. It was me grandmother, as I said, that told me the story, prefaced Margaret, and it all happened when she was a girl, which was, but sure, I never was good at figuring. One hundred years ago, at least interrupted ted with a mathematician's confidence and that's a long time continued margaret a long time me darlings you bet it is said ted why a hundred years ago the american eagle hadn't learned to flap its wings couldn't do anything but fight for his own nest but now gee willikins folks had better look out for him he can skim and swoop over sky and land and sea i tell you observed our young captain with patriotic pride "'Oh, hush, Ted. Let Margaret go on,' said Kit impatiently. "'I was but a bit of a colleen, like Nellie here, when me grandmother was bending and trembling with all her weight of years, and I can see her now, sitting in the old cabin before the chimney, where the peat fire was burning, with her beads in her hands, and her blackthorn stick ready to crack us, when we didn't mind what she said. A big white cap ruffled around her face.' that was all puckers and wrinkles but for the eyes, that had the old fire and light in them still. She was the wonderful old woman, and many were the queer tales she told of all she had heard and seen, but the Kilkenigan broth was the queerest and strangest of all. It was when she was only a girl herself that the black clouds of throuble hung heavy over poor Ireland. Master Teddy has learned all about it in his books, I know, how the Sassenach had his foot on her neck, and the devil his will and his way, and never cross or mast or holy priest dared to be seen from shore to shore. "'That's right,' said Teddy with a nod. "'Mr. McMahon told us all about the penal laws, as he called them. The Catholics couldn't have houses or lands or schools, or get married or buried or anything, and the priests had to hide in holes and caves. "'Ah, they did, they did,' resumed Margaret. "'Sure, wasn't there a place behind me own father's house?' deep down in the ground, with a rock for an altar, that was called a Sargarth Hole. Ah, them were black days, as me poor grandmother used to say, and she was in the darkest and the thickest of it. For she was only a bit of a girl when the blight struck the Pratties, and they blackened and withered in the fields for miles around Ballycraig. And there was food for neither man nor baste. And soon the mailbags were empty, and the milch cows went dry, and the pigs sickened, and died afore they could be killed naturally, and sore a grain was left, for even a starving hen to scratch. There was only the soup-house, where the hungering craithers might go to save their bodies and sell their souls, for though the big pots were there, simmering and smoking with cabbages and onions and pratties, until the smell filled the air like the breath of roses in June, sore a drop or sup could ye taste, until ye gave up holy faith and holy church, and promised your childer should be at the meetin house to be made into black heretics. "'And did they do it?' asked Kit breathlessly. "'Sell their souls to the supers, is it?' "'Not they,' answered Margaret in triumphant scorn. "'Never man or woman or child in Belly Craig could be bought by that devil's stew, save only the one I'm telling ye about, and that was me grandmother's born cousin, Tim Kilkinnigan. Tim was a wild goosen, with the nimblest leg at a dance, and the quickest fist at a fight, and the sweetest voice with a girl in all the country.' But the starvin' went hard with him, for, though he minded his soul on Easter Day, he took the world fair and aisy the rest of times, 
too fair and aisy for the good parish priest, who had many a crack at him for his rollickin' and blatherskittin'. The devil will have ye yet, Tim Kilkennigan, he would say in warning. It is a poor bargain he'll find me, father, Tim would answer humbly enough, for, wild as he was, he knew his duty to the clergy. But, as me grandmother said, the starvin' went hard with Tim, for he'd been used to his fill of praties and buttermilk, and stir about the year round, and often a bit of bacon and greens of Sundays and holy days. But now the pig was dead, and the cow was dry, and the patties all rotten in the black ground, and the stirabout was little more than boiled water. And, though Tim drew in his waistband and tried to whistle the hunger away, the smell of the soup-house came to him in his dreams, and his prayers, and he couldn't get rid of it. "'Sure, it's as Father Malone says,' he muttered to himself one evening, as he came home with the legs trembling under him, and his head swimming with weakness. "'The grace of heaven isn't in me like the rest of them, and I'll have to give in.' I'm off to the supers this evening. Oh, but he was so very hungry he couldn't help it, could he, Margaret? said Little Nell sympathetically. Yes, he could, declared Captain Ted. He wasn't clear grit, that's all. But go on, please, Mommy Mag. Well, with that word, continued the narrator, he picked up his stick to steady himself and started off to the soup house, and because of its closing at sundown, and it was a good three miles by the road, he took the short cut through the bog, and the bog of Ballycraig, as even the childher knew, was no place for a Christian man or woman after sundown, for it was one of the places given up to the fairies when they were drove from the forest and fields, and when they are about their business, and don't want to be troubled with meddlers. And, as bad luck would have it, poor Tim's head being a bit light and his body weak on account of the fastin', he lost his road and stuck in the bog. And there he was when the sun went down, and the fairy's day began, as it does when the day ends for us, that have bodies to rest and souls to save in the darkness. But, but, you know, interrupted Nell, a bewildered little pucker between her bright eyes, there are no fairies, really and truly. Sister Angela told us so, Margaret. I'm not saying there is, returned Margaret a trifle sharply. I'm only telling ye the tale as me grandmother told it to me, and ye must mind, child her, there's a dale of differ between the old country and Ameriky, and, though, this is a fine, elegant place for work and pay, there's no need for a crather that can live on a drop of dew or a sup of honey from a clover top to cross the sea. So there's never a fairy in Ameriky, as we all know. But Tim met them at the ball, didn't he? asked little Rick eagerly. He did, answered Margaret, or me grandmother told me he did. He was stumbling on as well as he could, through mire and pole, with the sun far down behind the hills, and the darkness falling fast around him, when, right in his way, he saw a little man in green. He was riding a grasshopper, and he had a bit of candle in his cap, no bigger than the spark that flies up the chimney, when ye stir the fire of a winter night, and he held the thorn of a thistle-bush for a sword. "'Who are ye, mortal, and what are ye doing here?' he asked, in a voice that was like the voice of an unfledged bird. And though Tim could have blown the crather away with one whiff of his breath, he was took off all a-tremble, as if the giant Nakamara himself was afore him. "'My name is Kilkennigan, your honour,' he stammered, "'and I was crossing the bog on a bit of business, and lost my way.' "'Can you give me the password?' asked the little man. "'Sure, sure I can't, sir.' answered Kilkennigan, feeling every drop of his blood run cold. "'Then you're my prisoner, Kilkennigan,' 
said the little soldier, drawing his sword. Murder, murder, cried Kukinigan, drawing back a step or two, lest he should tread on the crather. Be easy with me, your honor, and let me go. I mean no harm to you or yours. Ye are on fairy ground, the little man went on, and them that steps on fairy ground after the set of sun is prisoners to our king. You have to come with me. Though Kilkenigan could have crushed Torsten Rider with a slap of his hand, he found himself following the little soldier, as if he were pulled by iron chains. They went on and on, the little man's spark of light dancing before Kilkenigan in the darkness, as he stumbled through mud and water and thicket and furze, until they reached the middle of the bog, where there had always been a wide black pool that in the hottest day of summer was never known to run dry. Sorrow a drop of water at all was in it now, but in its place was a hollow soft and green as velvet, with rows of the fairy stoles we call mushrooms all around it, and the glimmer of thousands of little lights, and the flutter of little wings, and the piping of little voices, while in the midst of them all, on a throne made of a water lily, and wearing a crown that shone like a star, was the fairy king himself. As Kilkenigan came forward, there rose a sound like the buzz of a million bees, and the fairies flocked around the king until the flash of the lights and the shimmer of the silver wings nearly struck poor Tim blind. "'Damn where ye are,' said his guard, waving his sword. "'If ye step foot on the fairy ring, ye'll be swallowed up fifty fathoms deep.' And with that warning, Kilkenigan stood still enough, as you can guess. "'Who is it ye are bringing here?' asked the king, as the little soldier rode forward into the hollow. "'A mortal I found on fairy ground.' answered the man. Had he no angel guard? asked the king. Never a one. And Kukinigan's heart went down like lead in his breast, for the fairies had him, he knew. Turn your lights upon him, said the king, that I may see what he is like. And with that word all the fairies rose like a cloud, and every light was flashed upon poor Tim, till he seemed face in the blaze of judgment day itself. Sure I know him, said the king, it's that reprobate Tim Kilkenigan. It is, your honor, said Tim, all of a tremble. What were you crossing fairy ground for after the sun went down? asked the king. There's no use in lying, Kilkenigan. What brought you across the bog of Ballycraig tonight? Sure, I was on me way to the stoop house, your honor, answered Tim, feeling the truth must be told, or would only be worse for him. I can bear the starving no longer. Me head is that dizzy, and me legs are that weak. And so you're off to the soup-house, Kilkenigan, to sell your soul? went on the king. Look here, me fairies, here's a mortal man that will sell his soul for a pot of soup. And the buzz of scorn that went up from the little crathers was enough to turn Tim deaf for the rest of his life. Tis shame on ye, they're crying, Tim, went on the king. Shame on ye, ye big, blind, blundering coward ye. Shame on ye, Kilkenigan. There isn't the smallest fairy here that wouldn't go up the five hundred years of his life, with never a sorrow or a want or a heartbreak, with no work, but to dance in the moonlight, or sip the honey and the dew. There's never a fairy, I say, that wouldn't give it all to earn the soul that you're selling for a pot of soup. But souls are not for us, said the little king, and there was a sound like a sigh and a sob in his voice as he spoke. If they were, we would save and not sell them, Kilkenigan. And with that word, the sorrow and shame seemed to cut into Kilkenigan's heart like a knife. I'll go back, your honor, he said. Let me off this time, and I'll go back and starve it out, and never think of the supers again. 
I swear it, your honor. Go then, said the king, and mind that ye keep your word. But I'll never have it said that the fairy king turned away a starving man. So before he goes, give him his fill of fairy broth. And with that the little craythers flew off, and in another minute they were around him, each one with a bit of an acorn cup, brimming with dew, and Kokinigan supped and supped till he could sup no longer, and then he was let to stagger off home as best he could. And, though me grandmother said he was a changed man from that out, he never forgot the taste of that fairy broth, and was a bit queer ever afterward, wandering around after night, looking for acorn cups to catch the dew, and trembling at every grasshopper he saw. And the her all round Valley Crag heard the story, and whenever there was scant pickings at home, their mother would tell them to be off with their acorn cups and catch some of Kilkenigan's broth. But did all the poor people starve, Margaret? asked Little No anxiously. Sure they didn't, or me grandmother wouldn't have been left to tell the tale. A shipload of food came over from Ameriki that helped things wonderfully, and the praddies grew elegant the next year, and there was food in plenty again in Bally Crag. And the caramels are cold now, said Margaret with a laugh. And me story is indeed. End of chapter 6 Recording by Maria Therese